Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. Filters. We use filters to make coffee. We can use filters for our photography to help purify the air, to protect us as we breathe. we have the ability to purify those things in our life, why not filter those things that come against our heart? Talking to you today about um, filtering your life choices, making right choices with your life. We saw in the video what filtering is. We understand what a filter does. Filtering simply screens something unwanted out of your life, or it screens it from getting into your life in the first place. So where Carrie and I live in the valley, uh, the tap water, the drinking water that comes out of the tap doesn't taste very good. I'll just be honest with you. And so because of that, we have that water coming through a filtering system in our home so that it tastes better when we drink it. Now, we do the same thing with computers. We all understand that. We know that. We've got to filter what comes in, especially if you're hooked to the, to the Internet, because sometimes stuff can come in that you don't want, maybe stuff even inappropriate, and that filter screens out that inappropriate content from getting into your family, into your home. That's what filters do. They screen out what is unwanted, and that's what you and I have to do in our lives. We have got to allow God to set up some filters in us and make some changes in our own lives if we want to prosper under God's best and God's favor and God's blessings in our lives. Now, last week, I talked with you about filtering what others uh, think about you and what they say about you and how important that is, or you'll never achieve for God if you're constantly listening to what other people are saying about you or to you. David, who was... Uh, arguably considered uh, Israel's greatest king, had to do that very thing before he became the king of Israel. Because even his own family spoke negatively to him and spoke negatively about him with regards to him being leader over Israel. He had to learn to filter that stuff out if he wanted to become what God was calling him to become. And the same thing is true for your life. It's not just, uh, okay, I'm going to go to church once a week and, and spend an hour and then everything will be fine. And if it's not, then I'm ticked off with God. 
No, we, we've got to learn that we have a responsibility to start filtering things out of our lives that are harmful. And there's another filter that I think is really important that you're going to have to put in place in your life if you're going to live God's favor, God's best. And I would simply call the filter that we're going to deal with today smart choices. You're going to have to start filtering the choices that you make with your life if you hope to achieve your God-given potential. So there are three observations that I made, and as I shared with you last week, we're kind of basing this series on the life of, uh, of Israel's greatest king by the name of David. And there are three observations that, that I've made uh, about choices with regards uh, to David's life and what I see in David's life. And I'd like to share those three with you right now. First thing I'd like to share with you is that choices always have consequences. And I want you to underline the word always because that's the most important part of that little three uh, word thought or four word thought. Choices always have consequences. There will always be a consequence to the choice that you make with your life. Now, David's choices brought consequences to him and to his family that were that were astounding, that were, that were powerful. And, and I'll talk more about that in just a few moments. But what I want to get to you uh, right now, and, and I, if you don't hear another thing, hear this. What you are going to choose to do with your life is going to affect you whether you want it to or not. Choices have consequences. And some of those consequences are greater in degree, and other consequences are less and degree, depending on what the choice is involving and what, and what it's about. But there are consequences to all of our choices. So if that is true, it tells me that all of our choices are important. All of them. We can never say, well, I can do this. This is unimportant. I can choose this, this is an unimportant thing. Or, or maybe this is no big deal because I know God will forgive me of it later on. Because the truth is, God may forgive you. In fact, he has promised that he will forgive you. But that doesn't mean that there won't be a price that you have to pay later on because of the choice you made. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, what you think is the right road may lead to death. There are oftentimes heavy consequences associated with choices that we make. I'll never forget the young woman who was a part of a church that Carrie and I pastored years, and, uh, years ago, who expressed concern to the two of us that she would never get married. And when she shared that, we were kind of surprised that, that she would share it. I, I would have guessed at that time, she's late 20s, early 30s, something like that. And, and we were surprised because she was a, a relatively attractive young woman and seemed to have a whole lot going for her. And we just really felt like she was a person with a ton of potential. And so, uh, you know, I was frankly surprised that she hadn't already been married, but she expressed that. And I was, I was surprised that she thought to herself that she would never be married. But then she shared with us one bad choice that she had made when she was much younger. She had sex with a young man. It was her first time to have sex with a young man, and it was the only time in her life that she had ever had sex with a young man outside of her marriage. 
but that one night gave her an STD. One time. And that disease she will carry with her the rest of her life. Well, after that, after she got it, anytime a relationship with a young man began to blossom, began to turn serious, she had to talk to him. If it, if it appeared it was going to be a kind of a long-term thing, she had, to, she had to own up and tell him about a contagious disease that she was carrying in her body. And you know what that did. That usually led to a breakup of the relationship. Finally, she met a young man who was willing to deal with the issue, and he did end up marrying her, and, and the good news is they have a wonderful life together now. But what I am saying is there was, a, there was a big chunk of years there where there was a real question whether any guy would be willing to marry her, and the fact of the matter is it's not over yet. It still affects her physically to this day, even though she's gotten married, that one choice, just once, is what th did this to her. That's what I'm talking about today. Choices have consequences. And we may say that, that we have the right to choose whatever we want for our lives. And I want you to know God has given you that right. You can choose to do with whatever you want with your life but you do not have the right to choose the consequences that come with the choice you make. You may say, I want to do this with my life, but I sure don't want any of the diseases that come with that, or I don't want any of the bad effects that come from that. You don't get to choose those things. Choices will give consequences. They will come whether you want them to or not. So choices have these consequences, so it's important that you make wise choices with your life. Um, and everybody makes mistakes, and everybody makes wrong choices, but it's important that you make them as wisely as you possibly can, as young as you possibly can, because what you choose to do even in your youth can really show up a couple of years down the road. So this is very, very important. Pastor Eric, make sure your youth know this, that it's a critical time in their lives, and I, I can look back on my life in, and, and see kids from my youth group when I was a teenager and what has happened to them because of bad choices that they made back at that time. And, and we just don't want that to happen. So it's important that you know that. Now, another thing I want to say about these consequences, though, not all consequences are bad. There are wonderful consequences when you make right choices, all right? There are blessings that come when you do the right thing, all right? which is where I want to take you next, which was David's right choice, okay? And his right cho choice simply could be put this way. He trusted God. He trusted, he was a man of incredible faith and trust in the Lord. So I, I went to Google the all-knowing, uh, you know, the all-knowing uh, Google there, and, and I, I just typed in, because I didn't know if they'd have it on there or not, but I typed in, how, how many choices, how many decisions do, does the average American make in any given day? And uh, do you know that 
that answer is on Google, they can tell you. There are people who actually have time to study such things as that. How many choices the average person makes in any given day. Now, I'm not going to ask you to give me your opinion as to how many those, those are, because I know some of you are on your smartphone right now, and you're Googling to see what the answer is. So I don't want you to yell it out loud to me. I'm going to give you what the answer is. But if I was to ask you, and you didn't have a smartphone, and you didn't have any way of looking it up right now, would you think to yourself, well, but uh, the average person makes hundreds of choices in any given day, or would, well, maybe even thousands of choices in any given day. I was shocked to find out that according to people who have time to work on such things, uh, every adult will make an average of about 35,000 decisions in any given day. Wow! That's about 1.2 choices or decisions every second of every day. Now, some of those are... Are, are kind of spontaneous things and they're not things you think about. They're impulsive things like, like I'm choosing all kinds of, I'm making choices right now how I'm going to move my hands and where I'm going to look and all like that and I don't even think about it. It just happens, you know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of stuff that you do that you don't really think about that would be included in that 35,000. Uh, but some of those choices are going to be well thought out, uh, rational, logical choices that you're going to make and I don't know how many are or which and how many of the other in any given day, but that's, that's the way it, it breaks down. Now, in contrast to that, the average child makes about, this is going to shock you probably, 3,000 decisions or choices in any given day. A child does. I, that, I thought that was a lot for a kid myself, you know. Um, and, but I, I guess that they say that it's true, which only goes to show you that if, if you have suspicion that your five-year-old is plotting your overthrow, you're probably right. You know, They've got it well thought out, all right? Well, now let's go back to David's life here for just a minute. There, there was a choice that he made in connection with the fight that he had with a giant by the name of Goliath. And on the surface, it didn't seem like a very significant choice. But it proved to be a huge thing because it was a statement on his part of trust in God. Now, you'll find out about this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I, we kind of visited this a little bit last week. And I told you last week uh, a little bit about the story that David, who was the youngest of his brothers, of his eight brothers, he was sent by his father to check out how his brothers were doing on the battlefront. And, and he was bringing some food from home and everything. And, and so they're up there, they're fighting this group of people called the Philistines. And, and so when he gets to the front lines and finds his brothers, he hears this bellering, boisterous uh, uh, yelling from across the valley from a, from a giant who is uh, just making fun of Israel and, and, and demeaning and mocking Israel's God, Jehovah, and just mocking the people and, and mocking the soldiers and everything. And this is what the scripture says in 17 verses 23, 24. As he was talking with his brothers, uh, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks and David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite armies heard him, they began to run away in fright. Now, the, the reason they began to run away in fright is the guy was over nine feet tall, you know, and he, he was huge. 
He was, a, he was a mammoth guy, so strong and so powerful. And, and uh, he, he looked like he could take on the whole army of Israel and defeat them all, all by himself. And so the soldiers, they just began to run away and fright. And, and uh, David, who is probably a teenager right here, tells the troops, and in fact, he even tells King Saul, who's also hiding in the palace, not to worry about the giant because he would fight him in their behalf. And the troops are looking at this scrawny little teenage kid, and Saul is looking at this scrawny little teenage kid, and he says in verse 33, don't be ridiculous, there's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win, you're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David told Saul, as a shepherd, I've had to defend the flock that my dad put me in charge of, uh, even to the point of taking on a, uh, and killing a lion and a bear, we talked about that last week, and he says, if God gave me victory over a lion and bear, he'll give me over this, uh, victory over this pagan too, you know. So Saul relents and he says to David, don't, don't fight Goliath without armor. So take my armor and protect yourself. And so we pick it up in verses 39 and 40. David put on, strapped the, uh, put it on the, the armor and strapped the sword over it and took a step or two to see what it was like for he had never worn such things before. He said, I can't go in these he protested to Saul, I'm not used to them. So David took them off again, and he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with the shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine, the giant. Now in the natural, there's no way that David obviously is going to be able to win this fight. No way. There's no way. There's no percentage. Zero. It's, it, it's not a... But nothing stands out in my mind more than this, what David says here. Uh, it's his incredible faith and his trust in God. He says in verses 45 and 46, uh, this he's speaking to the giant. You come to me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied, Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I'm going to cut off your head just to prove it, you know. Whoa, I like that. That's tough, tough talk. But you look at David's faith here. The thing that caught my attention was he says, today the Lord will conquer you. He's saying, of assurance, it's going to happen today. It's going to happen. This is the day it's going to happen and it's going to be God who's going to do it. The one you've been mocking, he's the one who's going to take you down and give me the victory. I want you to know there comes a time in all of our Christian lives when we have got to realize that the battle is God's alone. There's nothing we can do. Our faith must be in Christ alone. That doesn't mean we sit back and we do nothing. You'll notice that David went ahead and picked up five stones out of the creek bed in order to go into battle with the, the giant. He only needed one of those stones, but he gathered up fine, uh, five, and he did what he could do. But he knew that his slingshot was worthless against this well-armed and experienced soldier, except for the fact that God was on his side. When you face an impossible situation in your life, 
You need to know, brothers and sisters, that you're not facing it alone and you're not facing it in your strength. When you commit your life and your battle to Jesus Christ, he becomes your champion. Hallelujah. And whatever the outcome, it will be, you will be a winner and God will get the glory. Now, in David's case, Goliath bit the dust and then he lost his head over it. The right choice for David was his complete trust in God and God's ability to bring about an impossible victory. And that's the right choice for you too. Remember, choices have consequences. When you trust God, there will be a powerful right choice in your life. Now, the third thing I want to share today was David's wrong choice. And I'm going to call this moral compromise. I wish I could tell you that every choice and decision David made was a good one, but the Bible, if the Bible is anything, the Bible is truthful. And you almost wish it would cover up some stuff, but it doesn't. It just lets it lay out there. And the truth is, David blew it. J David chose to allow his sinful nature. He, he chose to allow the world's way of, of defining happiness to influence him into making a very wrong choice. By this time in David's monarchy, he is now the king. Uh, by this time, he, he, he has been ruling for a while. And 2 Samuel chapter 11 tells us, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, who was the commander, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. And they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. The two parts to that verse jump, those verses jump, or that verse jump out to me. Number one, it says, in the spring of the year when kings normally, usually, should go out to war. And then the second part of it is, he stayed in Jerusalem. When he should have been on the battlefield, he stayed behind in Jerusalem. That's telling us that David did not do what he normally did. Probably not what he should have done. He stayed behind when the troops went out to battle. Now, David was probably about 50 years old at this time, and he would have no longer been engaged, you know, in, in the fight itself. He would no longer have been out there in the battlefield its, its, itself, partaking in the, the fighting. But still, it would have been right for him and customary for him to, as king, to show up on the battlefield, to observe the battlefield, to maybe make any adjustments, military adjustments that he deemed were necessary at the time. He shouldn't have stayed behind in Jerusalem, but that was his choice which led to another wrong choice. And we pick this up in verses 2 through 5. Late one afternoon after the midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of his palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And he sent someone to find out who she was. At, at verse 4, And when she came to the palace, he slept with her, and then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Now, 
Whether this was all David's fault or not is uncertain. Did Bathsheba know that she was in eye, a visual shot of the palace? And so she did this in a way so as to possibly entice the king? Because the king was very good looking. Was she, was she uh, playing a little game too? We don't know for sure whether it was just him seeing her and he got her back to the palace or whether she was hoping this would happen. We really don't know which way it went. What we do know is that this one choice led to another which led to the sins of adultery and then ultimately murder of her husband to cover up the, the first sin. And so David, who was a man after God's own heart, ends up doing pretty much unthinkable things for a guy who was so committed to God. He committed adultery and murder, both. How could this happen? Well, it happened then just like it happens today. James chapter 1, verses 14, 15 tells us, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Let me just stop right there. If you have uncontrolled desire, everybody has desires, but if you let them control you, I talked to the men's retreat yesterday about control. If you allow this stuff to control you, it will go beyond just little things and it'll become big things. If you take care of it when it's down here, it'll never become this. But if you don't take care of it down here, you're starting to pick up in your own spirit that something's not right. The Holy Spirit's starting to deal with you. If you don't listen to that, guaranteeing you're going to go down the road up, up, up on this level and you're going to be living with a, 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 a bunch of regret out of that. So that's what he says, desires entice us, drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to fulfillment and joy like you've never known before. Right? What does it say? What's the word? Death. It gives way to death. We all have a sinful nature about us. Even after we've given our lives to Christ, we all still have a sinful nature. So we're susceptible to temptation. And you never get so holy, so spiritual, that you don't get tempted anymore. In fact, we're so susceptible to temptation that Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, don't be so naive and self-confident you're not exempt you could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. If you don't win your battle over temptation, you can be forgiven, but there'll be a price to pay. For David, he was forgiven, but the child that was conceived in this adultery died shortly after birth. And even more tragic, in my mind, David lost his moral authority with his family. That, that's the biggest problem with David after the adultery. He lost his moral authority. And I want to talk with you about that for just a minute. He didn't have to lose his moral authority. But that is often what happens. It's not unusual when adults who uh, have failed to, when, when they set standards, they fail to set standards in their children in the very areas that they failed in when they were younger. 
And so you got, you know, a mom and a dad who did pot or drugs or whatever when they were young, and they see it in their kids, and they feel like, well, I can't say anything because I did it. Or they, they were promiscuous when they were young, and they see it in their kids, I can't say anything because I did it when I was younger. Uh, it, that's very common. They feel they have no right to set a standard of anything in their kids' lives because they failed in the past, you know. Now, I want you to know that that is not true. You, you can still gu give guidance to your children, but it's how many adults respond to their kids when they've had failure in their past. Instead of deciding that they're going to help their kids through this, they, they back off and let them make their own decisions. David could have still set a good moral tone and standard for, for his children, for his family, even in the face of his own failure. But in looking at David's life, as you read about the story, after the affair with Bathsheba, it seems as though he let his kids set their own standard, which led to rape. It led to two of his murder and then to two of his sons trying to usurp his his authority, his, his, uh, his rule, steal his throne. And that all happened within the family. So this is what I want to say to you. Don't let Satan talk you into giving away your leadership obligation and responsibility and privilege to your family simply because you haven't been perfect in your past. Because nobody's been perfect in your past. This is what I want to tell you. I believe this with all my heart. When you are forgiven by God for whatever you have done, your authority returns. When God forgives you, the authority comes back. Don't make your kids pay the price for your failure because you feel guilty. Set a tone or a standard for them in their lives. Now, David sinned, but he made the right choice in handling his sin. And this is what we learned from him. Number one, he admitted his sin. When, when he was confronted by the prophet about his sin, he said in 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned against the Lord. And that's primarily where the sin was. Let me tell you, there's a huge difference between the man, between the person who fails and then admits it, and the person who sins and tries to cover it up. There is a huge difference. And most people try to cover it up. It's what Adam and Eve did. They hid. That's what people have been doing for years. If you will confess and own up to it, that's what David did. He confessed and he owned up to it. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to my prayers. A lack of confession will lead to a huge disconnect between you and God. The second thing I want to share with you is that David repented of his sin. Not only did he confess it, he repented. Psalm 51, verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. That's what repentance is. A lot of times we get to thinking that repentance and forgiveness are the same thing. Well, I ask God to forgive me, and, and we think that's it. That's not it. That's step one. Step two is repentance. And repentance is literally changing your mind, which causes you to change your actions. And so 
you're going this direction. This is a very simple way of thinking about repentance. If you're going this direction, repentance means I changed my mind about going that direction. I am now going to go this direction. And then you literally turn and you go the other way. Now, when it comes to sin, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit's power to get you there because good intentions will not get you there. But you can ask God to forgive you for going this direction, whatever that means. And then you say, Holy Spirit, you've got, I want to repent of this. You've got to help me. And he will give you the spirit and the word to give you power to shift to you're going this way, 180 degrees from where you were going. Acts 3.19 says, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. So it's not just ask forgiveness, it's repentance. Repentance means your heart has changed and your actions have also changed. Now I'm going to end with this thought. You cannot undo what you have done. None of us can. Uh, we, we can't go back and change it. But here's what you can do. You can admit it. You can confess it. To God first. But sometimes even beyond that. Sometimes you need to confess it to other people. People that you have wronged in the process. And I don't have time to share the multitude of times I've had to do that. Not just, not just ask God to forgive me for what I did, but to actually go to an individual and say I was wrong. I overreacted. I'm sorry for what I said. Primarily her. <laughs> but that's the way it is in life, isn't it? If, you, if, you, if, if love means you never have to say you're sorry, you've got a wrong definition of love. What I have found is that love means I'm saying I'm sorry all the time, you know. And not just saying I'm sorry, I, I quit doing it too. I quit doing it. And here's the deal. If you will do that with the Lord today, God will begin the process of restoring your life, rebuilding your authority, and placing his favor upon you for the rest of your life. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.